Hi, this is John with Prodigal Church. We're so glad that you've downloaded this week's message. Our online ministry has enabled people from all over the world to access our weekly teachings. We're so grateful for you, whoever you are and wherever you are. For all things Prodigal, download the Prodigal app at your app store. And if you consider Prodigal Church your home, would you consider donating monthly at our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com. Thanks again for listening online. Now let's dive right into this week's teaching. Have you ever heard of the principle of red dot, blue dot? Okay, red dot, red dot, blue, blue dot, red, red, red dot, red dot. Think of everybody think of a red dot. Okay, just think a giant round red dot. Okay, you got it. I know that everybody listening has, has got that red dot. Now, at this point, I want you to stop thinking about the red dot. Okay, no more red dot. Okay, stop thinking about the red dot. I'm not gonna think about the red dot. Why are you still thinking about that red dot? Why can't you stop thinking about it? You wanna know how you stop thinking about the red dot, you start thinking blue dot. Because if I'm thinking blue, I'm not gonna think red. You see where we're going with this, right? If I want to deny my selfish desires, if I want to deny uh, the bad intuitions I have in my life, uh, I gotta stop thinking red. I'm not gonna lie, I'm not gonna cheat, I'm not gonna think about that one thing, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And guess what I'm thinking about all the time? When we focus on not doing bad, we don't manifest the beauty of God. Don't focus on overcoming evil. Overcome evil with good. It's the fruits of the Spirit. We need God's Spirit to help us manifest. Stop thinking red and start seeing blue. And what is seeing blue? Well, it's following Jesus. It's staying connected to him. Jesus says, follow me. Follow Jesus and you will bear fruit. Don't, don't think and focus on all the ways you struggle in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. No, follow Jesus and you'll begin to manifest these fruits in your world. Stay connected to Jesus. And today this is particularly important as we're looking at the fruit of gentleness and self-control. Self-control, that's something we all struggle with, right? I have so many stories of a lack of self-control and how that makes everything so much worse. It's hard to choose like how to introduce this topic because I've got a litany of stories that demonstrate what a lack of self-control does, okay? Uh, don't laugh because I know you yourself have thousands of stories of how your lack of self-control affected a situation and made it so much worse. So in the hopes that you don't think less of me as a person and as a pastor, the one story I will share with you goes back to when I was young and in high school. How many of you remember call waiting? Okay, call waiting was before you could look and see who's calling, um, and it was on a landline, you just click over and you can answer the phone. Call waiting caused more fights in our household than any other thing. What would happen is this, I'd be waiting for a call and my sister would be on the phone, and she would eventually hang up and tell me all the people who called during her hours-long conversation with some boy, or she'd never click over to answer the other call. And so I began to escalate things. Um, I, I began to, to, to try and embarrass her while she was on the phone with a boy. I'd knock on the door and say, Laura, why'd you stink up the bathroom? And she's like, oh, my brother's, you know, so stupid. And so well, one particular afternoon, I, I, I tried to embarrass her. Nothing was working. She was staying on the phone with some guy. And so uh, I decide I'm going to steal her blanket. She had this special attachment 
to a blanket that she had since she was born. It was called her sis. And so I stole her sis and told her that I had it and I was gonna throw it in the pool. And she said, John, don't do it. And I said, I'm gonna do it, get off the phone. So I go outside, I hold sis, okay? I hold that blanket over the waters and I go, get off the phone. And she's like, John, stop it. And I said, I'm gonna do it. And she goes, stop it, John, don't do it. And I drop sis into the, the water and the blanket floated to the bottom. So my sister's so mad, she decides she's gonna lock me out of the house. It's winter time. And so then I go to the back door, I try and open it, and it's locked. Now I'm freezing cold outside, and she's staring through the window, laughing at me. Nana, boo boo, stick your head in doo doo. And now I'm even more mad. So I begin to escalate it a little bit more. I knock on the door. That doesn't seem to get her attention, so I bang on the window. I bang on it once, and she goes, John, stop it. And I bang on it again, and I go, get off the phone. I'm yelling a little bit like a crazy person. And finally, I use my fist, and I hit that window one more time and it completely shatters. Now I look at the, the look of terror in my sister's eyes and I realize I've kind of taken things a little bit too far. But I decide I'm too far down the road now. I just got to keep going with it. So I crawl in and I do that little, like that, that, that horror movie serial killer like head tilt. I go like this and then I crawl through the window and she screams, she's gonna kill me and she runs back into her room and I'm chasing her down the halls and then she locks the door and I'm realizing, okay, I took it too far. But she realizes once she gets into her room that the dude is still on the phone. Like, how do you come back to a conversation after that? Like, he's gonna kill me. So anyways, like, I don't know, but it caused a lot of fights. Self control, something I lacked, okay? I knew that I should have stopped after the blanket. I knew I should have stopped after I raised my voice. I knew I should have stopped after I broke the window. With each successive decision, I spiraled out of control. And it's funny because it was in high school over a call waiting. But it's not so funny in our lives today with our kids, with our spouses, with our neighbors, where is our self-control? Just think about the fights that we're having in our nation right now. Fights about masks and politics. It just seems like everybody's walking around with their finger on the trigger, waiting to fire at first provocation. Everybody is a volcano waiting to erupt and ready to erupt at a moment's notice. We live our lives with our fingers on the trigger. And when we live this way, you know what we do? We assume the best in us, but the worst in those that we disagree with. Think about whatever issue that you seem to be passionate about right now. The other side of the argument, those people are crazy, right? Those people who see the direct opposite, we can't assume the best in us and the worst in everybody who disagrees with us. That is not the way of Jesus. No, we see in everyone the image of God, that they matter, that they have immense value, and we treat them like that. That is the role of the Christ follower. It is easy to think that God feels about your enemy the same way that you feel about your enemy. But most of the time, he just doesn't. 
He doesn't feel the desire to shame them. He doesn't feel the same contempt. He doesn't feel the desire to destroy. He loves them. One of the issues in our world is that the constant news and social media that we intake just reinforces our own worldview and our anger so that we're constantly placing our finger on the trigger so it doesn't take much to pull it. We're constantly worked up so we have no self-control because our minds and our hearts are shaped by other dispositions. And the truth is we're being discipled by the wrong voices. Red dot, red dot, red dot, red dot. We're focusing on the wrong things. Jesus offers a better way. This is really what it comes down to, that the fruit of the Spirit is about bearing fruit. How should we live like Jesus? How should we love like Jesus? And Jesus never gave in to the downward spiral of losing control. The Greek word for self-control is enkrateia, and it means self-mastery, self-discipline, or self-restraint. There is this amazing passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And it's a very famous passage of scripture. And I think God has something for us in it today. It says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul uses an analogy from the world of sports. He used the example of an athlete to teach us self-control. In effect, the apostle says that the same kind of strict training that goes in, in the unwavering focus and self-discipline that it takes to be a disciple is the same that it takes to be a world-class athlete. We just experienced the Olympics here um, in, uh, this year. Just this past month, the closing ceremonies were last week. Paul had not the Olympics in mind, but the Isthmian Games. And it was a competition that was second only to the Olympics as far as prestige and fame. And it took place every two years in the city of Corinth, the exact place that Paul is writing this letter to, and they, they, they would host it every two years. And the competition not only included athletics, but also poetry and music. And in the athletic domain, it included things like running, wrestling, and boxing, two of which Paul uses as a metaphor in 1 Corinthians 9. Now, if you were lucky enough to be chosen to, in the Isthmian Games, you were put through a rigorous 10-month training. It was designed to get you fit enough to compete in the highest levels. Ten months leading up to these games, you were to eat no meat, drink no wine, and there was no sex. There were, they were to exercise self-control. Ten months of saying no, no, no. Just because we have a certain urge or feeling doesn't mean we have to give in to it. Verse 25, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Paul is drawing a contrast with the perishable crown. Uh, we have lots of perishable crowns in our world. Um, 
they would receive a perishable wreath uh, if they won the Isthmian Games. Something that would eventually die, be hung on a wall and wither. And they competed that hard, that dedication for that. We have lots of perishable wreaths or perishable crowns, temporary. Uh, like, for example, who won the World Series in 1995? You don't remember? Uh, it was the Atlanta Braves. Why don't we remember? Well, because no one cares anymore. It's gone. It's over. Who, who won the Super Bowl in 2013? Okay, not too long ago. Most of you were around. Well, it was the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, we don't remember. No one cares. They come. They fade. Perishable crowns. These athletes, these world-class athletes, they've got discipline for that. Uh, my family and I, we, we just recently watched the movie Cars. Okay? And you've got that old retired race car, Doc Hudson. He won the Piston Cup. Everybody loved him. He was on top of the world. But just like that, your fame is gone. Now he's living in obscurity in Radiator Springs. Crowns don't last. Perishable wreaths. These athletes, the ones you watch on TV, in the NBA or in major leagues or at the Olympics, these athletes say yes to discipline and they say no to anything that distracts them from the prize, from the goal, from the world championship, from the Super Bowl, from an Olympic gold. And it takes an immense amount of self-control. Paul says we have that too. The same is true for us today. Every time you say yes to something, you're inherently saying no to multiple other things. If I say yes to the endless chips and salsa at my favorite Mexican restaurant, I am saying no to the beach bod. When you are saying yes to something, what are you saying no to? If you say yes to pornography, you're saying no to intimacy with your spouse. Paul says we don't run aimlessly. If you are saying yes to saying whatever you want in a heated argument, you're saying no to peace. You're saying no to joy. You're saying no to unity. You're saying no to self-control. You're saying no to all these beautiful things, all because you wanted to say yes in the moment. Now, in the Bible, there is one specific area of our lives that the Bible tells us again and again to exercise self-control, but it's an area that's so difficult. There's one part of our body that is the most difficult to rein in, and so the Bible speaks most profoundly and most prophetically and most clearly against this one specific vice. And I know what you're thinking, but it's not that. It is our tongues. It is what we say. It is how we use our words that the Bible says to exercise self-control more than any other struggle. The Bible says the tongue is a fire. Your words have immense power and we need the fruit of the spirit to tame the tongue. We need self-control. I read this week about a woman who had a very serious throat condition. The doctor told her that her vocal cords needed total rest and she was forbidden to talk for six months. With a husband and six kids, this seems like an impossible task. But she did what she was told. When she needed the kids, she would blow a whistle. Whenever she needed to communicate, she would wrote things on a pad of paper. And after six months, her voice came back. When asked what it was like to communicate only in writing, she said this. You'd be surprised how many notes I crumpled up and threw into the trash before I gave them to anyone. Seeing my words 
before anyone heard them had an effect that I don't think I can ever forget. Wow. What would that do for you? If you could see your words before you say your words, what would that do for me? Let me challenge you to give one encouraging word to everyone you communicate with every day this week. You're probably gonna have to be very deliberate about this. Tell your son or daughter something that will build them up. Teenagers, give a life-giving word to your parents. Siblings, say something kind to each other. Couples, affirm and encourage each other at least once a day. This week, I offer you this test. Submit your tongue to Jesus for seven days. See what happens. Everything you say, write, text, or post, all those count. Submit it to Jesus. Whatever way you communicate, make it loving, make it graceful. Blue dot, blue dot, blue dot. Just might help your self-control. And that brings us to the second, to the last fruit mentioned in Galatians chapter five. It is the fruit of gentleness. The Greek word is prautes. There are words that don't translate well from one language to another. Most words do relatively well. You can find words that kind of match their meaning. Gentleness is a difficult one. It's very hard. And so to describe what Paul means when he says gentleness, I'm just gonna describe it for a while. It's hard to be summarized in just a few short phrases. Uh, Gentleness is a a Christ-like response to hate, anger, division, or being treated unfairly. A Christ-like response. It doesn't always mean meekness or mellow. It means being aware of another person's feelings, fears, frustrations, and seeking peace in their lives. Gentleness chooses not to see your opponent as an enemy, but rather someone made in the image of God, someone you are called to love. Philippians 2 tells us that we need to see others as better than ourselves. That's others. Who's that? That's easy to think of, like people in my family, people that I love, people that I'm close with, people I think the world of. Yes, they're better than me. I can see them as better than myself, but it's hard for me to see them, whoever them is, as better than myself. Gentleness is about self-denial in order to bless others, humbly responding to the grace of God by showing that same grace to others. It's absolutely not weakness. Gentleness gets a bad rap. It's immense power under control. It's strength harnessed to serve. It overpowers anger and war with peacefulness. When we were mapping out the sermon series, we knew that we eventually had to combine weeks together, right? And I was talking with Sarah about it, and she was like, self-control and gentleness, they don't really go together. And I was like, you're right. Okay, something I tell Sarah very often because most often she is right. She said, you should have done self-control with patience or something like that. And I was like, you're right again. And I was like, well, I mean, it's too late for that. I had already taught on patience. Um, So I said, well, I'm just gonna try and make it work. But this week, as I actually sat down and looked at self-control and I looked at gentleness, I saw this beautiful connection that I never knew existed. Galatians 6, Paul gives instructions for when someone messes up or falls along the way. Someone who has a shortcoming, a failure. 
a moral struggle. Paul says this in Galatians 6, the very next chapter after the fruits of the Spirit, he says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Gentleness, prautis, strength with a gentle touch, power with a degree of restraint. Gentleness is muscle under God's control. And this is the kind of leadership we are called to as Christians. Many of you hold leadership positions. It may be perhaps in your place of employment. Uh, John R. Stott says this about Christian leadership. The very first thing that needs to be said about Christian ministers of all kinds is that they are under people as their servants rather than over people as their leaders. I agree. The chief characteristic of Christian leaders should be humility, not authority. Paul says in Galatians 6 that if we see a brother or sister struggling in sin, we should restore them gently. This Greek word restore, it's katarizo. It means to mend the nets, okay? It's an old fisherman's term. I am sure Paul stole this term from the apostle Peter. It means to bind the net together so that nothing falls through, that no fish falls through, so that no one falls through. If we see someone struggling, the goal isn't to be the sin police and to call them out to get them on the right path. No, it's to mend the nets to keep them from falling. And it says to do so with a gentle touch. We've got some mending to do in our Christian communities. We've got some self-righteousness that, that creeps up. Paul says, restore them gently. Mend the nets with gentleness. I think we could use some more gentleness in the global body of Christ nowadays. I think we could use some more humility in the leadership in the body of Christ today. I think we could use some more gentleness. My twin brother is a coach and throughout his career, he has had many staff, assistant coaches that would report to him. My brother and I were, were a lot alike. We, on our teams, on our staffs, we want a deep trust and relational connection. We want our teams to be fun, but we want to be built on trust. I want to trust them. I want them to trust me. So we invest in those relationships. We genuinely care for our team, for the people and the families that we work with. Uh, and so my brother hires this young and upcoming coach. And this, this guy is young and he goes through some stuff in his personal life and it begins to affect his work life. And my brother sticks with him and he helps him through it. Other coaches would have made a different decision, especially when this guy's bad decisions affected um, the swim team that he was coaching. And he continued to make these bad decisions. And after one particular bad decision, my brother takes him out to dinner. And he's just trying to get to the bottom of, of why this guy keeps making these bad decisions. My brother can tell that this guy is uncomfortable. So he's, he starts to crack some jokes to lighten the mood, trying to make him laugh, to loosen up so that he can begin to open up about his life. And so my brother Pete tells some vulnerable story in the hopes that this young man would then feel safe to open up and begin to get the help that he needs. So Pete is sticking his neck out 
to help this young guy. And he sees the guy kind of looking under the table at his phone. And perhaps it was a moment of intuition or perhaps it was the Holy Spirit. My brother asks this man, are you recording our conversation? And the man puts the phone on the table and he was. He was trying to record the conversation to potentially use it against my brother. Right there in the middle of the restaurant, my brother is absolutely dumbfounded. He's shocked. Here he is trying to help this guy only to feel betrayed by the one he's trying to help. What does gentleness look like here in the real world? What does self-control look like in the middle of this restaurant staring in the face of betrayal? Now I'm so proud of what my brother said. You know what he said? He said, after, after he caught his breath and the shock began to wear off, he said, I've been forgiven more, and so I forgive you. My brother's a pretty special guy. You know, there was a time in the life of Jesus where he too shared a dinner with betrayal. But this betrayal would shake the cosmos. This is not a recording of a conversation. No, this was the betrayal of love itself. When you read the story of the Last Supper in the Gospels, Jesus does out Judas as the betrayer, but not as we think he should. He doesn't say, hey, hey guys, gather up, gather up. Okay, listen up. One of you's gonna betray me, and I'm gonna point to him but right now. It's Judas, it's him, it's this guy right now, right there. He's the guy who betrayed me, everybody. Let's get him. He, he doesn't do that. He doesn't make it clear like that. Even though he knows what Judas has done, he knows that Judas sold him out. He knows that, that after doing all this for Judas, investing in Judas, loving Judas, calling Judas, it is Judas that leads him to execution on that old rugged cross. Jesus could have lost it right there at that dinner table. I would have. Knowing the pain that Jesus was going to have to endure, perhaps the betrayal of Judas was worse than the nails in his hands. The pain of that kind is worse than the pain of physical pain. Jesus reveals Judas as the betrayer, but with self-control and gentleness. Jesus did not expose or humiliate Judas. He shows compassion on him even in that moment. Jesus doesn't want to shatter Judas, he wants to melt him. Even in the garden of betrayal, Jesus greets Judas and calls him friend. Gentleness, self-control, it exudes from our savior Jesus and it should exude from us. We follow him, that's how we bear fruit. What would self-control and gentleness look like for you this week? But don't focus on the ways in which you struggle with it. No, that's red dot thinking. Focus on Jesus, on showing love, on sharing love, on saying love. And you'll bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. God, we thank you so much for your example that you exuded 
gentleness, strength and muscle under God's name. Under your power, Jesus. A power to serve others, not dominate others. And Jesus, we thank you that you demonstrated self-control. God, there are so many impulses and instincts that we have that could lead us to a downward spiral, and we bear the consequences of that. Jesus, help us to exude self-control. Help us to be so filled up with your love, grace, and mercy in seeing the beauty in others, in the image of God in others, that it helps us react the way you desire us to, with gentleness and with love. We love you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week is the finale of our Fresh Sermon Series, and we can't wait. I think it's gonna be the best one yet. We hope you have an amazing week. Peace in the Ukraine.